Pico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to EcoReport. For WFHB, I'm Todd Wicks. And I'm Don Guerra. The Bloomington City Council reversed its previous decision to repair, not rebuild, the 4th Street garage during their meeting last week. The vote was 5-3 to three in favor of borrowing $18.5 million to demolish and rebuild the downtown parking garage. Councilmember Jim Sims voiced his support for the rebuild. Parking is expensive. But you know what's more expensive? A dead downtown. The council previously approved paying for repairs to extend the life of the 4th Street garage for five years. Part of the council's strategy was to buy time to find alternatives to accommodating cars in the face of global climate change. But structural engineers from hired contractor CE Solutions reported to the council that they witnessed rapid structural decline in the garage in just nine months. CE Solutions revised their report from an original estimate of a five-year repair from $1.1 million to $1.5 million. The $18.5 million bond paying for the rebuild will be repaid over 20 years at a 6% interest rate. The interest on the bond adds $11 million to the total cost. Bloomington controller Jeff Underwood says revenues from the city's tax increment finance district, or TIF districts, will be the primary source for repaying the debt. He projects only 25% of the cost will be paid for with parking fees. Area residents and business owners have been vocal on the question of whether to rebuild the parking garage. In their meeting, the council heard more than two hours of public comment. Some community members see the garage as essential to maintaining the economic vitality of Bloomington's downtown. Karen Jepson Innes is executive director of the Wonder Lab Museum of Science and Technology, located just a block away from the 4th Street garage. We have over 81,000 visitors come every year to the museum, and that ranges from about two, an average of about 250 people per day during the week to over 800, 7 to 800 on the weekends. Most of these visitors are families uh, with infants, very young children, toddlers, strollers, and bags, and often frail older uh, family members who are in attendance. We also serve many people with physical disabilities. As well, 41% of visitors are from outside the city of Bloomington, uh, many from our rural outlying counties who do not have um, public transportation to come into the downtown. 
so many of these people do not have the opportunity to take bicycles or walk or buses, um, that sort of thing, to come in. If parking's not readily available, many of these people will leave and go elsewhere. And we know that because we hear it from them and from uh, others who contact us. Some members of the public asked the council to invest in public transit instead. Many stress the short window in which the world can affect behavioral and infrastructure changes that will reduce climate change. Council member Isabel Piedmont-Smith favors using transportation demand studies to devise alternatives to building more parking. She said she lost sleep over whether to rebuild the garage for both environmental and financial reasons. It's it's irresponsible, I think. And I, I can still respect people who disagree with me. I will work with anybody on this panel, city staff out there. But in my view, it is irresponsible to use $30 million of city money in the year 2019 to build a massive concrete parking structure that will be 75% subsidized by the city of Bloomington. I'm not going to do it. Piedmont Smith said the city is talking with Bloomington Transit Director Lou May about the city investing in more buses to create a downtown circulator and extend service on existing bus routes. Many council members said the vote was not an easy one. Four hours into the five-hour-long meeting, council member Andy Ruff said he was still torn and undecided. Council member Dorothy Granger who had previously voted to repair the garage, changed her stance and voiced support for the rebuild. Council members Isabel Piedmont-Smith, Steve Volan, and Andy Ruff voted against the bond to finance rebuilding the 4th Street garage. Council members Granger, Sturbaum, Rollo, Sandberg, and Sims formed the majority approving the bond. The City of Bloomington is planning to rehabilitate the trail at RCA Park off of South Rockport Road. The Board of Park Commissioners approved contracting with Scenic Construction Services to demolish existing boardwalks and remove some trees and reconstruct the trail. Referring to a map, Natural Resources Manager Steve Cotter explained the project to the Board during their meeting last week. There is a loop trail at that park that is in varying uh, conditions. Some of it is old boardwalk, some of it is relatively new pavement, some of it is limestone fines. Uh, And you can see on the map up there that it's uh, divided by the parking lot. There's a northern portion of the loop that is larger around the, the ball fields, and then a southern portion that goes through the woods and around the uh, tennis courts and basketball courts. The city plans to create a new east-west trail along Duke Energy Utility easements, north of RCA Park. Cotter said the RCA Park Trail could feasibly link up with that new trail sometime in the future. In the same meeting, the board renewed its partnership with Centerstone for parks maintenance. Centerstone Administrator Greg May told the board that Centerstone clients benefit from the employment the partnership provides. Um, we've seen folks that have gone from situations of being homeless or having unstable housing to obtaining their own housing in a relatively short period of time. We see less social isolation, more engagement in the community, 
uh, and kind of that, that sense of community and that sense of belonging that so often folks um, in the types of situations I described don't have. Um, and this is really a project that has been able to give those back. And I think I've talked the past couple of years just about the installation of hope when you give someone an opportunity when they have been told no so many times before um, is just something that this project does. Parks Director Paula McDivitt and said Stenderstone workers help maintain downtown parks, portions of Kirkwood Avenue, and the Cascades Golf Course. The back-to-back -back coral bleaching events have had a lasting impact on the health of the largest living structure on Earth. Bleaching events in 2016 and 2017 damaged two-thirds of Australia's Great Barrier Reef. A study published in Nature in late February found that the death of corals over the course of two years has significantly decreased the ability of new corals to grow and thrive. Last year, there was an 89% decline in the number of new corals on the reef compared to the historic record. The extent of non-recovery was unexpected. According to a study published in Science Advances, there is more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere now than at any other time in the last three million years. Researchers at the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research succeeded for the first time in creating a computer simulation of the climate over the past three million years based on analysis of sediment from the ocean floor. The model showed that carbon dioxide levels played a major role in shaping climate. The research showed that lower levels of carbon dioxide were a major factor in the onset of ice ages. For WFHB, I'm Todd Wicks. And I'm Don Guerra. Support for EcoReport comes from Blooming Foods Market in Delhi, Bloomington's locally grown co-op grocery since 1976, offering products with a focus on local, fair trade, natural, and organic, with support for farmers, producers, agencies, and artisans. Blooming Foods Market and Deli on East 3rd Street near College Mall, West 6th Street near the Courthouse Square, and Shreve Hall on the Ivy Tech campus. Up next, Get Out and Hike. This is Get Out and Hike, and I'm Jan Walker. Hi, my name is Abby Henkel. I'm the Communications Director at Sycamore Land Trust, and I'm going to be talking about Dilcher Turner Canyon Preserve, which is our nature preserve in Greene County, Indiana. And this is a beautiful preserve. It's one of my favorites, and it's really not well known. It was donated by the Dilcher family and the Turners um, several years ago to Sycamore, and it's got a wonderful trail. It's about two miles, and it goes up some pretty steep hills, which I find really fun as a hiker. Uh, you walk right by the ravine, and it's got a seasonal creek, so it fills up in the spring and in the fall. Um, it, so there's lots of great wildlife that you can see out there. You can hunt through the creek and see what little critters are living under the rocks. Spring is also beautiful there because it's got a ton of native wildflowers that pop up. And sometimes the forest floor will just be covered in them. So it's one of my favorite hikes. That Sycamore properties are always free to visit. So this is a great one to go to um, if you want to get out and see something different. A lot of people haven't been there. I kind of think of it as a hidden gem. It's got a teeny tiny little parking lot that you can squeeze into. But luckily, it's pretty quiet there and there aren't a lot of people who visit it. So it's a great place to visit. If you visit our website, sycamorelandtrust.org, um, it's easy to find directions to all our nature preserves there. Um, and that's just a way to find out about all kinds of nature preserves that you probably aren't even aware of. Thank you.
In this week's feature, WFHB's Norm Holy speaks with Dr. Jeff Dukes, head of the Purdue University Climate Change Research Center. from WFHB and today I'm interviewing Dr. Jeff Dukes who is the head of the Purdue Climate Lab. The Climate Lab has been very busy over the last year. They have issued a whole bunch of reports on various aspects of climate and climate change. For example, reports which are available through the internet on the climate, health, forests, urban, green space, ag, tourism, energy, just an idea of what they have done. So these are really excellent reports. How has the program impacted Indiana. I would love to know the perfect way to measure that, and if anyone has any suggestions, I'm happy to hear from them. People can find the reports online at indianaclimate.org, and we can look and see how often people go and do that, and that's one way we can try to measure impact. And we can look at how many times the reports are covered in the media and who's covering them and where they're found. Are they on the front page or somewhere else? And we can look at how many times we're asked to go around and talk to crowds and how big the audiences are at the places we give talks. It's much harder for us to know what people are actually doing with the information that we're giving them and how often they're taking the information and doing something differently after they've gotten the information because now they know something about what to expect in the future that they didn't know before. wish we had more information on, on that sort of thing. We can guess that some people are doing that because we get testimonials sometimes. We know that the Office of Sustainability for the city of South Bend was very happy to have our information and is using it, although we don't know exactly how they're using it, but they, they've been in touch with us and let us know that they're using it. There's all these metrics out there that we can use, but ultimately it's a l- little bit hard to quantify. Well over 10,000 people have visited the website to look at these reports online and our sort of main user-friendly website. And we know that the PDF versions, the sort of printer-friendly versions of our reports have been downloaded more than 4,000 times. We have a, a mailing list with several hundred people on it. You can find out how to sign up for that at indianaclimate.org as well. If you're interested, you can find the reports there, the mailing list information. Each time we release a report, we do it in a community briefing, and that often gets press coverage. And We have been in the media, whether it's uh, newspaper or TV or or radio coverage, more than 400 times, almost 450 times through releasing these, these reports. And, you know, sometimes the report is covered on the last page of the front section in a short article in a small newspaper, and sometimes it's on the front page of the Indy Star or it's in the Chicago Tribune. So it just depends. We're trying to get local coverage within Indiana so that people know what we're doing and understand the implications of climate change are for them. Your forestry report was introduced here in Bloomington. And the urban green infrastructure report as well. And I've been down in that general neck of the woods talking to state foresters along with Rich Phillips, who's a professor at IU. We've talked to to Indiana State Foresters about the implications of climate change for our forests and talk through the results in the report with them. Right now, I think just maybe a, a day or two ago, there was a magazine article. I think, is it Bloom Magazine that you have down there? There's a nice glossy article in the 
magazine uh, that, that just came out. Uh, looks beautifully done. It's got good commentary from Scott Robeson, who's a professor at IU, and, and from Rich Phillips, also at IU, uh, as part of the um, Environmental Resilience Institute there. And also talks about perspectives from, from many other people, farmers and community members of different stripe, to people who have access to that. That's a, a good place to read about what we've been up to. How do you interact with the legislature? Well, that's something we plan to do more of in the future. We talked to members of the legislature a little bit about this report. We still have two reports to go. We have one on water resources and one on infrastructure. Our plan is to, uh, after all those reports are out, uh, put out a summary report that hits the high notes and the most policy-relevant points that we have across all of the reports, and then have a session with legislators in the state house in the future where we really narrow in on policy implications, where they can ask us the questions that they might be most interested in, in terms of how policy could be affected by these changes, or how changes in policy could save us money in the future, or better protect our natural resources. In terms of uh, funding, are you getting much directly from Indiana? No, we get no funding from the state. No, our center, the the Purdue Climate Change Research Center, is funding this report. The center is funded from a variety of academic units and administrative units at Purdue. So we have a diverse set of funding sources here, but we are a center within Purdue's Discovery Park. Ultimately, we're this Discovery Park sort of research enterprise that is a place where different disciplines converge to try to take on global grand challenges. So we fit nicely into that category. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I hope that your listeners will take a look at these reports. They're available at indianaclimate.org. They give a sense as to how the state's going to change going forward, but they also really drive home the point that climate change has already been happening in the state. It's happening now. We're being affected by it right now. Many people don't realize that our precipitation regimes are quite different than they were decades ago. Over the last hundred years, most of Indiana has gotten about six inches wetter than it was previously and been changing the fastest and the most dramatically in the southern part of the state. Southern Indiana is quite a bit wetter than it used to be. And throughout the state, we're getting more of our precipitation in heavy downpours than we used to. The implications of that are basically that we're wetter and the water that we're getting is is less useful because so much of that's coming in in the winter and the spring in times when we really don't need the water. And it's just contributing to things like flooding of our communities and taking more nutrients and, and soil out of our agricultural fields. This is something that's, that's happening now. If we're using the climate of the past to plan for the future, then we're making a mistake. We're, we're basically going to be losing money needlessly because we're planning using bad data. People should be taking this into account that our climate is no longer stationary. It can't be regarded as something that's holding still. It's moving. It's been moving. And it's going to move dramatically faster in the future. It's going to be dramatically warmer, wetter in the winters and springs, and even more of the rainfall is going to be coming in these heaviest events. If we're planning our our storm drains, if we're planning culverts, housing developments based on past precipitation patterns and past temperature regimes, we're making a mistake. We're planning things. We're sort of locking infrastructure in place that's going to be ill-suited to the future. It's just important to be keeping this in mind, thinking about how we can construct our society so that it's as well prepared for tomorrow.
tomorrow's climate. I'd like to thank you very much for wonderful comments. Thanks, Norm. It's been great talking to you. Are you looking for a way to take action on environmental issues? EcoReport is seeking volunteer reporters to contribute short headline news stories as well as feature interviews. We provide all the technical training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. Give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now, it's time for In Nature. This is In Nature. Eastern box turtles, or Terrapina carolina carolina, were in the recent past a common terrestrial turtle in the eastern United States. However, now this species is considered of special concern because of loss of habitat and because these turtles are often sold in the pet trade. It is against the law in Indiana to take a turtle from the wild. Eastern box turtles prefer moist, deciduous, or mixed bottomland forests and use shallow streams to cool off during warm weather. If the weather is particularly hot, the turtles will also submerge themselves in wet mud. Box turtles have a hinge on the bottom shell or plastron and have a high domed upper shell or carapace. They can pull their heads and limbs into their shell and tightly close it, foiling predators. Their shell coloration is brown with a pattern of yellowish or orange radiating lines or spots. The males have red eyes and a plastron that is concave, allowing him purchase when he climbs on top of the female to inseminate her. The female has brown eyes and a flat plastron. Box turtles can live for 50 to 100 years and do not breed until they are about 10 years old. Once inseminated, the female can store viable sperm for up to four days. She lays her eggs in the soil from mid-May to early June, and the sun incubates them. A variety of predators feast on the eggs. Adding to their vulnerability, young turtles are unable to close the hinge of their shells until they are four or five years old. Eastern box turtles are omnivorous, eating fruit, earthworms, slugs, small insects, rotting meat, mushrooms, flowers, and berries. Because of their low metabolism, if food is not available, they can retreat into their shells and can wait until conditions are more favorable. Box turtles overwinter by digging into the soil going deeper as the winter progresses. You've been listening to In Nature.
This week in our listening area, there will be a garlic mustard removal day at Spring Mill State Park on Saturday, April 13th, from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Meet at the pool parking lot with a pair of gloves to participate. Learn about the relationship between flowering plants and insect pollinators at the Leonard Springs Nature Park on Saturday, April 13th, from 1 to 2.30 p.m. Wear comfortable shoes and bring a water bottle. Register at bloomington.in.gov parks. Earth Week is from April 15th to April 22nd. You can lend a hand to Southeast Park by helping clean up debris and litter on Friday, April 19th from 5 to 7 p.m. Bring gloves and a water bottle. Register at bloomington.in.gov slash parks V-O-L. Take advantage of a Bluebird Nest Box Building Workshop on Saturday, April 20th. It will be at Brown County State Park and start at 2 p.m. To pre-register, please call 812 988-5240 or email phaulter at dnr.in.gov You can help remove debris and litter from the boat launch area and in hidden coves at Griffey Lake Nature Preserve on Saturday, April 20th from 10 a.m. to noon. Bring a water bottle and register at bloomington.in.gov slash parks, V-O-L. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy, Sarah Vaughn, and Wes Martin. Today's feature was produced by Norm Holy, and edited by Jan Walker. Jan Walker produced and edited Get Out and Hike. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Music for today's feature is from the song Bonnie Portmore on Travis Punterelli's album Why Should Not a Trumpet. Kirsten Payton engineered today's show. The script was edited by Andrew Brown, Kaylin Huffman, Brower, Sarah Vaughn, and Jan Walker. Jan Walker is our producer, and the executive producer is Wes Martin. Tune in on Thursdays at 11.30 a.m. and Fridays at 5 p.m. for our weekly radio rundown of ecological news. You can also access news, feature audio, in nature, and get out and hike episodes anytime at wfhb.org. For WFHB, I'm Don Guerra. And I'm Todd Wicks. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB. 
in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. EcoReport is your independent, ecologically inspired news source. For South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the EcoReport staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.